Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about unions. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And if there's anything that has been going on in, like, the background, you know, noise of the in- of the industry recently, it has certainly been talk of unions. A new kind of movement, I guess, has kind of cropped up called Game Workers Unite. They are advocating for unionization inside of the uh, video game industry, kind of across a variety of like professions and roles i haven't seen too much that seems to suggest that anyone is specifically included or um, excluded from this kind of push for unionization but the overall sentiment seems to be that conditions in working in video games are not great and uh, unionization would really help people get uh get better I guess get get more bang for their buck or more buck for their bang in this instance um, out of out of their work uh, related to this and you should really probably watch slash read there are going to be a couple of um, articles and videos in the show notes that we're going to be referencing a whole lot. Um, is that enough of a? Is that enough of an of an intro? Yeah. Do you want to? Uh, yeah. Wanna so start? so I, I do want to say that the the primary source I think is going to be <laughs> Super Bunny Hop's excellent video on the subject, where he does a bunch of interviews and talks a bit about the history of unionization in, in different industries that are similar. Um, I don't know what other sources you looked at, buddy, but I definitely uh, looked at a couple more. I looked at a uh, Collins Last Stand video. Um, kind of about the downsides of unions, a little bit more general about like some of the downsides of unions, and I didn't find it particularly specific, but if you are interested, I'll link that below as well. Um, and uh, did, did you have anything else that, that you that you read that you wanted to, to reference off the top? Uh, the only other thing that I read was um, the article by the CD Projekt Red guy, where they asked him about unionization, and he basically said, I cannot believe the Americans think that they they, they need to deserve a union kind of thing. Yeah, so um, just kind of to jump into it, I'm going to kind of take the position that, uh, maybe the controversial position, that I don't think game developers need a union. And, and just to make my position clear, I'm talking specifically about developers, programmers, software engineers, whatever term you want to use, and not about, say, testers um, or QA staff or, or even artists or voice actors because, um, one, I don't know a lot about them. Um, I am a software engineer, not in games. Um, uh, and two, because I think they also deal with problems that aren't – like they don't have the advantages that the software engineers do that I think means that they don't need – a union, if, if that makes – was that clear enough? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I get that. Yeah, and and so kind of off the top, the, the single biggest reason I don't think that game developers need the power of the union is because they actually do hold a lot of power in, in kind of negotiation with the companies, but they refuse to use it, and I don't think unionizing will change that. Um. Okay, what do you mean by that? So, so that's an interesting take. So, the single biggest problem with game developers, or with the industry, is that it's driven by passion. And you know that I I just said that was a problem, but it means that people are willing to put up with bad conditions, right? Um, And 
the, the truth of the matter is, is that literally any one of these developers could go quit their job and very easily get a job in a different kind of uh, pro industry doing programming and probably get paid more and work less for it. But they don't because they really like what they do. Um, and so my, 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 my kind of apprehension about, about unionizing is that in order to kind of affect change, the union is going to have to threaten to do things that would involve them not working on games. And if they're not willing to do that now, if they're not willing to, to take that step to, to forgo working, to kind of put pressure on companies, to leave the industry potentially, to put pressure on companies, I don't see them taking that step up to do it when they're, when they're behind uh, kind of the, or, or when they're grouped up with the, with the union. That's that is a. I guess that's one way to look at it. I don't really have I. Uh, I don't really know that I have a good response to that, just because it's completely so off the cuff, like or like off the wall compared to what I like the framework of my thinking. Like in a certain sense, I I do think that like, you know, this is something that you've complained about before, where like the idea of kind of software developers is so broad, and there is actually a lot more specificity kind of to it. Um, that something like that, it's kind of like saying that, like, teachers and firefighters and police officers are all public sector employees or something like that, right? Like, the difference between, you know, front end and back end, I don't even know these differences very well, right? But, like, um, you know, uh, engineers and actual developers and real, like, programmers and stuff like that, right? Like, all of those differences are legitimately meaningful and that someone who is, you know, a, uh, you know, someone that can do programming for, like, the video game space, you don't think that the skills that they have earned as a, you know, like, as a game developer are a unique enough resource for them to want, like, are you essentially saying that these people just need to retrain themselves and exit the industry into different roles? So, so essentially the industry right now is so hard up for developers that it doesn't matter that they don't have the specific experience for most positions. You know, I've, I've, I've been through this, right? I am currently an Android developer. I was previously a web developer and in kind of a, a more tight industry, it would be harder for me to make that move. But everybody is so, so eager to, to hire. If you have like enough experience, even if it's not directly related, yes, that transition isn't going to be perfectly smooth, but you could definitely do it. Plus there are other positions kind of in related industries that are closer aligned uh, to the kind of skills that you get out of video game development than uh, uh, than you'd otherwise think. Uh, okay, well, then that kind of begs the next question, right? Like, if someone is, like, legitimately passionate about, you know, like, like making games, you don't think that they have the same kind of, like, I guess I would say right to equitable working conditions as anyone else? So... As, like, these other developers? So, I... I so, my... So... My my point is not that they shouldn't have those conditions. It's just that the ability to kind of leverage for the like I so there's the the one side of this which is I think like I I question the ability of them to act on those needs if they're not willing to act on, like what the, the the what the the pressure that a union can bring is kind of is a shortage of labor right they can they can threaten to strike they can threaten to not put themselves in. Um, 
they could do th- like a lot of developers could do that right now. Like developers could threaten to quit without having to worry about not being able to support themselves because the industry is so hard up for software engineers, and none of them are kind of willing to do that. And so, right, but isn't that argument kind of just saying if you don't, you know, like if you don't like this job, quit and get you can get a different like a, a different job in a related industry, right? But that's not the point. The point of a strike is to make the conditions you are currently working under better. If someone is passionate about working on games, right, and the strike is a means to, like, okay, th- this is th- this is kind of, I understand the comparison that you're making between, like, me striking and me quitting to go get a different job or me stopping work on the thing that I am passionate about, but one of those brings an end state that is, I'm doing the thing I'm passionate about under better conditions. And the other brings the end state of, I have left the thing I am passionate about for, you know, the working conditions that I find more desirable, right? Like that's not a meaningful difference for you that someone would be willing to, you know, temporarily strike in order to gain the working conditions that they are hoping to find inside of the thing they are passionate about. So I, I I understand what, what what you're saying. And and I don't think that that's like impossible, right? I, I do think that there, there would be, people that would be willing to do that at the that gets into some other things that I think are kind of um what's uh, what's the word I want to use here that, that are that are potentially dangerous about uh unionizing but um I so so you know part of this is that I think that there are some people who essentially people who would be willing to 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 scab themselves if that makes sense right like if the the industry because there is such a need for software developers, and software developers are such a uh, a quantity that is that is needed and wanted, I think there are not, there, there will be individuals who are not willing to join the union and strike and give up, like because because that avenue should be available to a lot of people right now, right? Like par- part of the 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 kind of vision of of, of unionization is that um, these people have no other recourse to turn to, right? Like they're um, uh, tradesmen that have to work in this trades nor- trade in order to make a living, or otherwise go do some some lesser unskilled labor or something like that, and so um, and they don't have anything else to turn to. These software developers do have something else to turn to. It's software development in other areas of the economy, um, and that's not to say that I think that these that 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 the conditions are good or are you know like are are acceptable. I just don't think that the union is necessarily the best mechanism to get the output that they want out of it because unions, the, the mechanisms that unions work on um, are kind of like artificially, uh, su- uh, artificially restricting the supply of labor. Um, and that has some downstream effects that I don't think people are properly reckoning with. Um, things like uh, essentially you, you, you tend to take focus off of merit and more on seniority um, and along with that comes, uh, it makes it harder for new people to join the industry. And the industry is kind of starved in the first place. And um, the other side of that is that maybe the union just fails on its face because the companies are willing to just, you know, not deal with anybody who unionizes and hire all new talent because it's such a rabid industry. Um, See, I actually think that the opposite is true. I think that it is much more dangerous for these companies to kind of play with fire when it comes to video game development then it might look in kind of other situations right 
Um, so, for instance, it's not super tough to train someone up. I'm trying to think of, a, of like, a comparable example, right? But, like, it's not super tough to, like, train someone up to be um, – I don't know, just certain jobs, right? It, like, if I'm working in a factory, pressing a button every couple of seconds when the thing comes in, right, I can pull someone off the street and they can, you know, reasonably do that job in the, in the way that you might expect uh, a scab to. But I actually think that, especially when it comes to the development of games themselves, that is a much tougher process to, like contend with just because of the way you know like code bases and engines and spaghetti code and all of these things that we've always talked about just kind of like exist and so the idea that like your developer base even just half or like three quarters of your developer base quits that is a huge drain on an industry that already has just like monumental overhead right so the idea that like the the companies would be willing to bear down i feel like that doesn't square with the way that we do think about some of these like modern development practices in a certain sense it's kind of like <coughs> because because crunch has become more standardized and i have a lot of thoughts about crunch um in that that will that will get to in a minute right but like because crunch has become more standardized it suggests that the amount of work that needs to get done in the games industry is quite a lot in order to put out these in order to put out these titles so throttling the labor supply even just a quarter right like if 25% of the devs working on whatever game drop out that is huge that is a titanic shift that just like completely blows things up i feel like and that is really the power in a game developer union that i think they have to leverage um is because like i don't know i mean like part of it is the looking at the way that crunch has become more kind of like standardized and like those sort of i would I would, like i don't want to call them abusive because like i actually don't think crunch comes from a place of malice i think it actually just kind of comes from a place of like raw incentive if that makes sense um rather than anything else it's kind of like you know it's almost like kind of like the filibuster god i really don't want to get too political well okay like well, I mean, we're talking about the, unions buddy so we are talking about unions that's exactly what i was thinking the thing with the filibuster right the filibuster did not used to be it just wasn't used that often um you can't it's tough to tell when a filibuster happens or it doesn't right but like if you look at the rate at which people vote to close the filibuster it's called cloture i think um you know there's like only a handful of times in the 60s and 70s that it's being used to shut down senators from filibustering on the senate floor but now we're using cloture all the time which suggests that people are using the filibuster all the time so like yes sure here's this kind of tactic that can be used and it's not a great tactic but it's not really a problem because no one's abusing it and now we are in a situation where because of the certain incentive structure that is in place people are abusing it all the time i feel like that is the case with uh, that is the case with crunch, right? It wasn't super common if you talk to people who were, you know, like devs and working kind of in the late 90s, early 2000s, the crunch was the rarity. The, the Bunny Hop video talks about this, right? But like as it became more and more of a tool that people could rely upon, they are continuing to rely upon it. And now it has kind of like grown to this sort of... Uh, 
monstrous proportion where it is a real problem inside of the industry. No, and, and, and I absolutely agree. I, again, my, my position is not that everything is fine and dandy in the games industry. It's that the, that unionizing isn't the, the best way to do it. I think that developers in general should just refuse to crunch and then go find a job in a, in, at like a startup or at Google when, you know, if, if the companies won't put up, put up with them on an individual basis. I just, I, I worry about what unionization does to kind of, um, get, just kind of the, the, the quality of development and the ability for new people to enter the industry. The, the industry, so the industry is very hard for new people to enter. I, I can tell you I tried and I failed. Um, I was not good enough for the games industry. Um, and like I said before, I make more money than a lot of junior devs or a lot of junior devs at about my experience level and I work less. Um, in the, you know, pe- people of my equivalent stature in the, in the games industry. And, um, that suggests that we've got, uh, that we've got a kind of screwed up incentive structure there because people are, are willing to be so passionate. Um, and part of me thinks that that's going to also come out in, in kind of any type of negotiate, negotiation that people are willing, willing to enter. People like that, a uh, union's got to be willing to compromise far below what they should because the, the industry runs on so much passion. I do think there is a certain sense of validity to that, but I don't think that that makes unions like unpalatable. This is what I appreciated sure. about um, the bunny hop video talking about the film industry and the unions in the film industry. Um, because, and we've talked about this before in the past, how like, you know, I think one of the biggest problems with the game games industry is that companies are set up like tech companies like Google or Facebook or whatever. Right. Um, rather than being set up like movie studios. One of the big complaints that people were talking about in that video, and one of the complaints that are really frequent among kind of like game developers, is like the layoff structure and people kind of just like immediately losing their job overnight. Well, there is a structure that works for that, and it is the way that the film industry works, right? And part of... You know, unions did not get rid of those things. It just introduced protections so that, like, yes, you're going to work eight months on this project, and it's, you know, and it's freelance, and it sucks, but that project is going to give you healthcare. The healthcare is going to last past the project date a certain amount of time so that you have coverage to find a new gig. You know what I mean? Like, all of those kinds of things are real benefits that unions do bring to the same kind of, like, freelance you know, uh, the freelance kind of situation. And without the unions, those situations become much more untenable. And you have situations where, like, you know, Telltale just blows up overnight. That's that's not a great example, but, like, you know, just the idea that developers losing their jobs because games are a project-based, you know, product where as soon as the project ends and as soon as your role in the project ends the company no longer wants to pay you that is actually a pretty fine system there just needs to be a certain set of you know extra pieces added to it in order to make it palatable for people right thousands millions of people work in industries that are exactly like that with the same kind of you know, with the right kinds of protections and it's not a problem for any of them. And I think the lack of unions in games is probably one of the reasons why, you know, like this comes up, right? Because people can pinch that penny, right? You can squeeze it out and there isn't anyone there to kind of like advocate for, in crude terms, the labor side, you know, 
desire and uh, uh, goal of having you know these kinds of between project um, protections. The what the interesting thing is that you know. A lot of people talk about this in terms of developers, and I really do feel for the developers. Crunch hits developers much harder than it hits anyone else, I find. Um, except for also maybe QA. And QA, boy, did they get just like the short end of the stick. But I actually think that there are also a lot of other people, specifically, right, like the QA and the kind of contractors that do those sorts of things, that also probably uh, are in, in even more need of unionizing. Yeah, no, I, I, I will absolutely say that... Right? that- the, the testers and and various other talent definitely definitely my arguments don't apply to them because one test testers actually I think are kind of more equivalent to the kind of craftsman level unions in that like you can kind of get anybody to be a tester with with minimal training and maybe they need some of those protections and so uh, a union there I think makes a lot more sense um, and so I, I, I do want to make clear that I don't think that any of my arguments hold for for, for those for those groups. Yeah, this is one of the interesting things that I had found about um, the uh, – I had found kind of about the conversation in general is the way that people were talking about, you know, kind of all of the games workers sort of being pooled into one, like, stew of of people in the industry when most other unions are profession-specific, right? It's the yeah, like- union. It's, you know – the the directors guild it's you know sag aftra that kind of stuff yeah like the the actors and and the the crew members um you know i'll i'll beep names afterwards if if we think we need to to protect people but do you know if 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 is is a member of of his union i actually don't know if is a member of his union okay um friend of the cast he's been on and he does uh like lighting and cinematography um, but I actually don't have a good answer of whether or not he is union. I know that there exists a union for that. Um, so, so actually, who has also been on this cast, does pretty much equivalent work to that. Um, I actually didn't realize that until we, we had a couple conversations with both of them. But I know actively um, avoids the union um, because uh, like the way he puts it is, is how far you get in the union is – or, you know – what. Uh, like the, what are the it's essentially some it's the, the the expression is something like 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 who 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 are you and who's your daddy or something right like the, essentially an allegation of 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 some amount of uh, nepotism um, and that like you essentially get locked into being exactly uh, a union member and you're like kind of on this track that you can't escape from if you want to um, and it's much more about seniority and who you know than it is about merit. Um, and that's why he has avoided he, – he's, he's been an independent for uh, the duration of his career. Um, and so I worry – and you know, part of that informs my perspective on this is um, I worry about those kinds of negative effects um, permeating uh, kind of, of software development in, in the video game world. Yeah, I, I definitely do think that those are real problems to be contended with, right? Um, and it's not something that there is always a – like – an easy answer to it's such like this is the kind of nuance that yes no questions are really gonna have a tough time answering because the real answer is that you know here are problems unions can fix this problem theoretically 
and they're probably going to introduce other stuff along with it. And I actually don't think you brought this up when we were talking about these articles beforehand, but like, I actually don't think that a lot of the unionization efforts kind of really tackle those things as efficiently or as effectively as they could or should i feel like i'd almost want them to be a little bit more honest like yeah sure unions can introduce problems but like it's better than what we've got and maybe that just doesn't work for a you know maybe that just doesn't work for a a kind of advocacy position right you kind of can't cede that ground any sign of weakness is going to allow someone to come in and go aha see you also think unions are bad or whatever um but uh, but I but I does feel a little bit dishonest because I I very much understand that kind of thing. Um, I also think that there is something about you know something to be said um, about the different ways in which people do get into and out of unions. Like so, for instance, you know SAG-AFTRA the, with the screen the Screen Actors Guild um, is pretty straightforward to join, right? All you need are, you you work like three jobs as an extra or something like that, and you can get a SAG card, and you can get, you know, health insurance and stuff through that, right? Um, but then there are other unions that are like much more exclusive, right? Like if you want to join the Writers Guild, you have a better shot of joining Major League Baseball or the NFL than you have at joining the Writers Guild, just because, you know, writing professionally is not a super common thing and a lot of people who are literally professional writers right are not you know do not qualify to be to gain membership to the writers guild and there is that kind of like onboarding sort of um ramp that people also kind of like take issue with right the ad the 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 presence of a union does not guarantee the presence of like membership and something that typically happens at least around a lot of these film unions in LA is that like it is it's almost kind of like a like a certification test that you can pass right like if you're in the business world or something and you go and you get like a you know like a like a a certified a CFP like a certified financial planning certificate or whatever just so that you can like put that and that's a more marketable skill so you get a pay bump kind of thing something along those lines that's sort of what it's like you are you start out working non-union jobs that are not great but those become your ticket into union jobs that are better if that makes sense um yeah no i i know i know for um for the the union that would potentially join is he has to work on jobs that get flipped to union like the union has to come in and take over the job and he has to like be on so many of those so it's 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 easier than what you're describing as as the writer's guild but um it's kind of it's still kind of a lottery right you just have to be in the right place at the right time um uh and so th- there are definitely those issues sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you can continue no sure and i also by the way and i think that that pipeline actually literally exists right like this is the most common thing that i see when it comes to like the games industry but what you see is people who do put in you know a lot of blood sweat and tears doing indie projects doing mods those types of things that are not super lucrative or not you know um high caliber kind of like working and then they transition that stuff into real developer positions right like if i go out and i make you know a a really strong mod for or like a a really strong add-on or something for world of warcraft and i'm the guy who like deadly boss mods or whatever and i'm the deadly boss mods guy and it's an add-on that so much of the community has 
that is kind of my ramp into you know into blizzard and i think that there's a version of things that looks a little bit similar to that where it's kind of like you know you ride that ramp up into a union if that makes sense yeah i i i, I am not familiar enough with 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 union mechanisms to, to know if, if how that would how that would work out or with with what um the game workers unite um kind of uh structure proposed structure is i'm also not sure that they are particularly they, they do have a particularly strong plan there i not not to disparage them but i do get the sense that a lot of them are just kind of trying to to get the conversation started about unions rather than than implementing any concrete plans yeah. yet um I, that makes a lot of sense to me and i absolutely think that that is probably true um it's not incredibly centralized and i you know last year this year and last year are like the first two big years where i think that this has entered kind of like the cultural context so there might come a time when things actually start kind of transitioning into you know a more kind of concrete plan on what what this will look like and we are sort of in like the beginning stages of that um uh, or it might be, you know, the opposite where this conversation kind of like falls flat on his face and doesn't really like doesn't really get anywhere. Um, I do actually think that there is something to also be said about all, like the kind of uh, surrounding market forces just to the games industry in general that I find kind of interesting and compelling. Um, one of the things that I think is unique is the way that uh, the publishers and distributors have been sort of pumping money into the industry in general people think of games as being um uh, a growing market and so there's a lot of investment opportunities and one of the interesting things about that is that in especially the indie game space there's a lot of room for people to get projects that get funding because apple and sony and microsoft really want you know they want to get a ton of games for their consoles and for their you know um for their distribution platforms and so they're shelling out cash to indie game developers and saying you know hey listen we'll finance your game we're not really really like be hands-on with it or anything like that but we want a one-year exclusivity deal or something kind of along those lines um and i think that that's a really interesting place for developers to kind of flex in the way that we were talking about earlier in the sense that like if i'm having a tough time at my you know activision blizzard job or whatever and uh I'm thinking about quitting that job for something better. There's never really been a better time for you to quit and start making indie games than right now. Um, and I think we see a lot of that, to be honest with you. A lot of the indie games that are coming out and making waves are made by developers who were, you know, five years in the trenches on Red Dead Redemption, whatever, and came out of it and said, you know what, I'm going to make Stardew Valley or something like that, right? You know? Uh, um, and Kickstarter is a big part of that too, right? Like we just saw the release of Bloodstained, which is by famed um, uh, famed Castlevania uh, director. Uh, I think it's Igarashi. I'm 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 not great with uh, the developer names, but he he essentially the most famous Castlevania director did Symphony of the Night, um, and he got fed up with Konami, like everybody has at this point, and he went and made his own Castlevania with the with the numbers filed off. And it's good, unlike the unlike say Mighty Number no. Nine. Um, yeah, I was about to say Mighty Number no. Nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, there, there's def, there's definitely um, there's def, there's definitely opportunity 
Um, for that, and, and you know, again, to my mind, maybe that like I think these are better solutions than than kind of straight unionization. Um, but you know, I, 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 some of obviously this this comes down to uh, opinion. As it's like like you said, right? Like this is going to be a question of trade offs and whether it's worth it or not. And I think. Honestly, before it happens, it's it's, it's going to come down to a matter matter of opinion, um, and you know I, I've made my my opinion clear. Uh, so I, I do want to stress that that like I don't think that I'm some sort of oracle or anything. I just view this as is a preferable solution to uh, to to, uh, to to or I, I don't view unionization as, as as the most preferable solution to this this set of problems, um, at least for for game developers themselves. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I also think that this is something that will be, you know, like, there's kind of a, um, what would I call this? There's kind of a, like, market solution idea to all of this, which is that, you know, as the labor market kind of, so, okay, this is like, this is like weird macroeconomics. People talk about supply and demand and all this other kind of stuff. And all those things make a certain amount of sense, but the principles kind of break down in a situation where you do not have full employment, right? So when there is unemployment, especially when there's high unemployment, the value of workers and labor in general is really decreased and the, and the power of, you know, effectively capital is increased they have employers have the advantage employees have the disadvantage <coughs> this is kind of the logic behind unions in a lot of cases right, right. where you need unions to offset that power balance essentially by kind of leveraging the specific aspects of specific professions and how those professions specifically work and kind of like are needed. But something that has been happening ever since like the crash in 2010 is that the unemployment rate has been going down. Um, and we are looking much more like an economy that has full employment and much less like an economy that um, has – uh, less employment, and that might just make the 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 kind of natural counterbalance work itself out. You know, in a in a much more the, with no need for for unions kind of whatsoever. This is sort of like the market decides uh, kind of like ideology. Yeah, no, so, so, this, so this, this is the weird problem because much more than like say the general economy, software developers are in that kind of like full employment like. Full employment position. There are people are hiring people with like periphery programming experience because they're that hard up for developers. But and that's like kind of the greater ecosystem for developers. But this kind of sub ecosystem of game developers is is weirdly in the opposite in the opposite boat. That like it's over it's 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 over uh, the the job market's oversaturated. I guess is the the right way to put it. Is that there are so many people who want to work in games and not enough positions for them that that, that somehow that the uh, the studios are are at advantage. Um, and it's just I guess a, a matter of of uh, of forcing people to, you know, like like I said, my solution is is, is getting people to to kind of work to that outer market that they are at advantage in, um, rather than sticking to the games industry. But and you know that, that yeah, but so I mean, in a certain sense, I actually feel like that is just describing a union, right? Like, aren't you just describing collective action by people just using a certain kind of tactic in this way? Um, so. 
I see I see what you're saying, but my the difference is is, is mine's predicated on on individuals choosing to do this stuff because that's I think ultimately what's better for them and for the health of 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 the industry, right? Like like my solution because it doesn't involve uh, an actual union, right? Because it involves uh, um, uh, it involves kind of individual action. Um, kind of avoids these these weird um, uh, nepotism problems and these these um, right 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 right. But 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 my point is is that like okay so you know this is something that's been happening. You described that you specifically as an individual sure. made this kind of decision, right? Sure, sure. But individuals are just like you know raindrops in a pond, right? If you're looking to make a wave, you need collective action, and so the advocation that you are making is for large groups of individuals to all make the same individual do you see what i'm saying to all make the same individual action sure. in order to enforce change isn't that just collective action at that point uh, again the, the difference is, <laughs> is, is it, does, it doesn't come with the union overhead and i understand what you're saying right um and it's kind of at, at some level my version is also kind of like you know either either you know Put your money where you know. Put your money on, or put put yourself on the line and be willing to quit and go elsewhere, or suck it up and deal with it. Which I understand is is you know not not exactly the most symp- sympathetic viewpoint. Um, but I think that it's that it's kind of I, you know I, I have a preference for market mechanisms over over uh, other stuff. So it kind of I guess plays to to, to my ideals better, which I'll freely admit. Um, but it's 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 essentially it's working itself as a market solution rather than working as as this kind of artificial system that 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 um that unions induce. I, I I worry about things like you know three people you know make a game in their garage and they pitch it to Microsoft and the union tells them that you, you know the union goes after them because they're effectively sniping that market out because they're not union members, right? Like I don't know like I don't know a ton about labor, so maybe I'm way off base. But these these are the types of things that I don't think are necessarily likely to happen, but I think are possible and things that we need to consider when we um, when we advocate for for different solutions to this problem. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely understand those kinds of downsides. Like for instance, I think the downside to the kind of solution that you're um, that you're talking about is just nothing happens, right? No, absolutely. hypothetically speaking, yeah. this is this is what has been the solution this entire time, yeah. right? Um, and if it hasn't worked so far, why would we expect it to work now, essentially, is kind of the downside there. Um, I also think that the ver- – I think, like, this is kind of what I meant about, like, the macroeconomic level. There is a version of things where I think that, like, employers just kind of can't hook it any they, anymore, right? They can't get people to come in for dirt cheap and work awful jobs anymore because you know all, all all it really takes to make that dam break is just like one or two you know real other options that are taking your good talent away from you right like imagine a world where let's just nintendo because they're like the good guys right where nintendo guarantees as part of a contract right that there will be no crunch and that any overtime will be compensated ludicrously right like quadruple overtime or something like that in order to say managers if you cannot keep your project in scope and you start 
doing overtime, you are going to go over budget and we are going to and you are going to be punished for that kind of sort of thing, right? And so all of a sudden now you have a big, you know, a big company with a lot of developer jobs who are promising, you know, this new shiny benefit essentially that is no crunch. I don't actually th- I think there is a world in which you know, Activision, Blizzard, Ubisoft, right? The other companies then follow suit and go, you know what? Fuck, right? Like, these guys have broken the wall down, and if we want to be competitive with them, we have to also make a similar kind of, you know, like, make a similar kind of pledge to how we, you know, how we structure our contracts with developers. This isn't, by the way, to say, I want to be clear, this isn't, by the way, to say that I advocate for this or that I think that this will happen, just that it is, you know, a possibility this could be a thing as we look at fuller employment or something kind of along those lines. I, I, um, I think the big opportunity for a solution like that is is actually with Stadia. As much as I like to shit on it, that's Google entering kind of this space in Google. Google is a desired place of employment because it has such rich benefits and such good salaries. Um, not yeah. be, you know, even though, you know, it's got some prestige, like, and, you know, you know Apple and, um, I, and Google pay, I don't know, Google pays really well. Apple pays, uh, kind of famously plays a little bit below market rate because it wants people who are dedicated, but it doesn't pay below market rate like video game developers play, pay below market rate. It's really strange. Um, uh, or rather, the game like the, the, this weird imbalance is really strange, and maybe Google is the one to 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 jump in, and like you know, Google has like infinite money, so they step in and they offer a bunch of money to to developers. Help, maybe even even mobile developers start pushing this direction. There are a lot. No, more- I was actually going to bring that up. I uh, something that is interesting is that I have heard nothing but amazing reports at working for. Mobile developers. Um, mobile developers have, operate like startups, not like not like game developers. Weird. Yeah. Well, and so uh, and another thing is just that apparently mobile development is just like really easy and extremely lucrative. I had this conversation with a friend who uh, worked in the AAA games industry for a long time, and he got let go, and he did a couple of small sort of like startup things, but eventually moved to a mobile mobile developer company. And he was just like, I could not believe how easy this was, right? It's like, you know, he was programming back then. He was like, I, it's like I was programming for the fucking PS2. It was so easy. And, you know, they just make so much money off of microtransactions that, like, they have plenty of developers. They have plenty of, you know what I mean? Like, they have plenty of money to, like, hire people if they need extra staff. So there's no such thing as crunch. There's just like... I, I, I don't know like there, it just it seems like a pretty cushy thing to do and I think that that might actually be a piece of it right like that there is this kind of culture where you look at Blizzard and you say Blizzard puts out these games that I know I know Diablo and Hearthstone and Warcraft and Starcraft or whatever um, you know I know Call of Duty I know Activision and EA and so I go want to go work for Bioware my favorite game ever is Mass Effect or whatever the case may be right um, but that the you know the that kind of prestige label isn't something that the companies themselves are using in order to get the best people it's something that they are using in order to employ good people way less than they should be in, in a certain sense and mobile games where people think of those as being you know shitty and for casuals and full of just awful business practices or whatever are actually the more desirable place to work because you know 
it's easy and lucrative and water finds a crack in a, in a way. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but th- th- this is kind of like this goes back to, to my original argument. All of these all all of these devs should be kind of flowing in that direction because because you know if they do that right, like then the pressure will be appropriately put on the uh, on the AAA developers to kind of be better. Um, and uh, and if and the thing that's stopping that is is this passion element. Um, and and you know maybe I'm wrong. Maybe 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 you know the for whatever reason people are willing to throw themselves into a union and not behind like what makes rational sense for them. People are, you know, people are, are much less rational than economists would want you to believe. Um, and, and so may, may, maybe this just has to be the solution because people aren't willing to do, you know, the quote unquote smart thing. But I, I, you know, I, I, I think that that's, that's the better solution because you get re- you avoid the problems of the union and you, you avoid kind of the, the cruft that happened. I hesitate to call it cruft because I, I don't want to make it seem like I think that these people who are attempting to unionize are, are you know, are, are kind of like, you know, the stereotype of like union organizer or union uh, uh, union management who, would, you know, that are corrupt and out to just do for themselves. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there there is, there is that danger, but I don't think that, that these people are, I think these people are genuinely good hearted and looking to solve the problem. So I don't want to, um, uh, to tar them like that, but yeah, I mean the tough part about like an, you know, um, I in a certain sort of thing I think is that in the a lot of these Silicon Valley jobs with Facebook and Google and and, and kind of what have you, there's just like a different sort of like governing mindset to some of these things. Um, like I legitimately think Apple and Google and Facebook want the very best people. And so they're willing to kind of like rise to that occasion. Whereas I almost sort of think the opposite might be true when it comes to like EA or something kind of along those lines where EA wants to, you know, get a lot of work out of someone for not a lot of cost. And they are sort of willing to, uh, they're willing to take that passion. They're willing to take advantage of that passion. Right. You know, in, in a, in a, in a situation, essentially, it feels a little bit like Facebook is leveraging its prestige value to generate, to find the best people ever, right? Um, EA is leveraging its prestige value to take advantage of people. Um, and that is sucky in a, in, a, in a certain, you know, in a certain sense of things. Yeah, I also it's... think that part of this is just like, uh, over like overall, like there are some bigger structural things. I'm sorry, I don't want to move on to the next thing. Uh, before you can say no, 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 that, that's fine. Go, go on. I, I don't think. Yeah, because I... like, because the and like the other piece of this that I want to make sure I do hit on because Bunny Hop talks about it, but like I do not think that it is um kind of like appropriately dealt with like the value of executives and ceos and all that i think is massively inflated in Oof. the u.s all economy right. compared to other places and i absolutely think that part of like part of this is completely outside of the games industry itself when you have right the 15 million dollar bonus going to that cfo or whatever for um for joining uh for joining activision right are you, okay are you gonna... all right all right let's do this. this is this is time this is you know 
I make fun of you for shilling for Bioware. Now you guys can make fun of me for uh, for for shilling for 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 big corporations. I guess. Um, I th- I, d- I don't think you're right. I think the the reason that executives get paid so much is because they are worth that much to the company. I don't think they'd be paid that like investors wouldn't pay see see uh, you know executive leadership hundreds of millions of dollars if they weren't then turning around and creating uh you know hunt you know thousands you know billions of dollars in in value for their position um and i think part of this uh, part of this as it relates to the game industry in particular um is that the the problem is is they're looking to maximize money when we actually don't want that right like as gamers we don't want um, and as even as software developers that work for those companies, right? Because they, they're not compensated with things like equity or, or like um, residuals, which I think they should be, and I think that they should demand. Um, uh, but what they actually they're concerned about like creating art, right? Like they're create or you know creating fun games, even if even if they're sport rather than art. Um, I think that's the fundamental disconnect there. But um, the the issue is, is if you do something, you try and draw down an executive salary for one of these these video game companies they'll go somewhere else and they'll go um they'll they'll go join a different company potentially in a different sector and i think that that will be bad for these companies there's a reason i think that there is fundamentally a reason why they uh why they make so much money it's because they provide the value that that they uh they set out to and they get fired if they don't that's why yeah i just i do i don't think that is uh i don't think that's really the case um which is probably just like you know, um, like part of this is when you compare it to other con- like countries, they don't interact in that sort of same way, right? Like the difference between a um, you know a developer and a CEO salary in Japan is a lot different than a developer and a CEO salary in the U.S. is a lot different than you know in France or something kind of along those sorts of lines. Um, but like once you get to those hyperinflated values, I just like I don't know, I just can't. So I so again I don't think they're inflated. I, I so I think I think there's a couple things there. One, um, you know, the difference between like say a European country and an American country and or American country and America um, is that a lot of those companies aren't worth nearly as much as American companies are. Um, and I think the bigger thing, especially when you're comparing to Japanese companies, is that there's there's enough of a culture that presidents and CEOs are not willing to. Abandon companies for a better salary, right? Like there's there's like a much stronger sense of duty, and that's what what allows them to bring salaries down. You see this actually in professional American sports as well, where you know a, a quarterback will believe enough in the team that they'll be willing to take a pay cut to 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 um uh to to kind of give more more salary allowance for other players. Eli Manning, I think, famously did this, um. And and that's just a thing that's kind of missing from American corporate culture. But I think that that stands in defiance of value. Not be not not you know this isn't this this is that's something that that works against the fact that uh, that stands in defiance of, of those executives' value. Not because that there's some 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 overinflation happening in America. I don't know, man. I just it, it is a very tough thing for. I, it's almost like tautological, you know. In, in a certain sort of sense to say that like the CEOs generate the value that they are like that they are d- drawing essentially because there are a lot first of all there are a lot of really high profile failures in the games industry all the time right you know where big flops will come out and 
are those, you know, are those decisions of like those executives going, you know, like the, the, the driving force behind those failures, right? Like if these, if these are executives are as good as they say they are and deserve the money that they get, right? Why is it that we see so many high profile failures come out? Um, and I think the other piece of this is just uh, that it kind of assumes this American style as default compared to other places, right? And assumes also that, like, the will of investors is kind of, like, default market logic and not just, like, you know, the the actual the, – the actual decisions of actual individuals who are just kind of throwing guesses, right? Like, you, all you have to do is look at Theranos to show that, like – there are plenty of times where investors throw money at projects that are dumb and that are stupid and probably are not worth the money that the investors went in on. And so, like, to say that the investors represent this kind of, like, you know, abstract value generation of the market when they are controlled by very human people making very human mistakes seems very misleading to me. So, so, so th- there's, there's a difference there in that Theranos is a company that got invested in Versus a set of investors deciding on the salary for um, an executive in an established company. And, and right, right. I, I, no, 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 sure. But my point is that the the decision making of those investors can be fallible, right? Sure, and it's just as fallible right. as the decision if, making of Japanese CEOs. Right, but but when they fail, those people are out. Right, there's the reason that Don Matrick left Xbox and is now at Zynga is because he failed. Um, and he managed to convince the people at Zynga that he'd do a better job there, and I, I, I haven't followed him since then. But the, the shakeups do happen, um, and you know, there's, there's, you know, Bobby Kotick has been the head of Activision Blizzard since God knows how long, even though he's kind of a fuck because he he brings in a lot of money, right? Um, and you talk about failures, but like, I don't think there are many as many high profile failures as you think there are in the sense that like, there are a lot of games that kind of like are critically panned. But a lot of them still sell great, right? Like the Call of the Call of Duty Modern Warfare Three, I want to say, got panned by everybody, but still sold like hundreds of millions of units. And you know, it might not have been as successful as as they had wanted to be, but it's still successful in a way that like that that you know goes beyond what what uh you know it's not a failure in the way that you're suggesting i think no i'm no i'm sure i mean i think i am more than happy to kind of define that down into like financial failures because those financial failures happen right where games will come out and they will not do so well and they will only you know um even if they only like break even a lot of the times that is seen as a failure because we value growth we don't value kind of yeah persistence right you know um you want like like, the Activision Blizzard layoffs happened because they missed, like, a growth goal. Not because, right. like, that company wasn't making money. It's just because they said they were going to make a certain amount of money, and then they made less than that amount, and so they fired 12% of their staff. That's a, I, I don't know how you look at that kind of thing and don't see a version of things where the people paying the price are, the, like, the executives, right? Are, did any executives get fired? Did Bobby Kotick get fired? No, right? But the community manager on World of Warcraft did, or whatever, you know. I actually don't know who got fired, but yeah. I, I, so, so this, this is this is a hard thing to get into without without knowing specific numbers. But I'm sure Bobby Kotick missed like some bonus that he was doing. I'm sure that that bonus was worth worth a lot more than kind of than than or was worth. 
probably less than the salaries of those people. I, I don't know. I, 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 I can't speak to specific numbers, but the other so so the other option there is you is you take the money out of Bobby Kotick's salary, and then Bobby Kotick goes and leaves and goes and sits on the board of a different company. I I think he was up, he's up for the nomination of the board of um like some some various other startup company. I I know because I invested in it and. I saw his name on on a voting thing I had to do for it, which, right? And like he he's he's a person he is a person that if you get rid of him will go somewhere else, and that just leaves Activision Blizzard without Bobby Kotick, right? And maybe that's the right decision, right? Like maybe, maybe you're right, and maybe that invest you know investors aren't aren't infallible, but I don't necessarily like I, there you don't replace him with somebody that's going to be paid a, a fifth of what he's going to be paid, right? Or if you do, that person's probably not going to be as good a, uh, uh, an executive as um, as Bobby Kotick was. And I don't think Activision Blizzard does well out of that because if, if that person was a, a, it was a better executive, then they would be paid more. I, yeah, man, I, th- that's the tautology that I, that I, that I'm kind of like I mean, highlighting. I mean, you know, this this is how markets work, right? Like, the, you know, it, it, this is obviously a difference in, in the belief of, you know, the, the efficiency of markets. I guess. Um. I yeah. I mean, I don't. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, this is kind of outside of outside of the purview, anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I definitely do think that it is a tougher. It, it's a. Hmm. I don't know. It's it's tough. <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard. You know, much smarter people than us have argued about this in much in, you know much less narrow context. Um, and uh, you know, we're we're not going to resolve it on on this podcast arguing about whether Bobby Co- Bobby Kotick, uh, Bobby Kotick deserves his salary or not. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. Um. So. Uh. I guess that's unionization. I didn't actually. My my point of view is actually that I think a union is pretty good, but that it does have downsides that people aren't really like considering. Um, and I think uh, the biggest place for it is absolutely in those like lower tier, you know, like those lower tier jobs. Like as like listen, listen, all of the, you know, like all of the testers out there. I love you guys. I I know many of you and. Your life sucks, and I'm really sorry about that. And I think a union would really fucking help you guys out. Um, and uh, and I'm really glad that you know it is becoming something that we are talking about because I think honestly, if there's anything right, like if you, if you are going to be a a union sympathizer, right, the worst thing that is fighting against you, I think, is just ignorance. Right? Is the is the fact that people don't know the power of the option that they have for you know like that they have for themselves um in a certain kind of sense and the more people end up talking about it the more powerful that option will end up uh will end up becoming i guess um yeah no there's a i i want to definitely agree with you that the 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 testers and the other people you know unionization is probably the right way to go for them and there's part of me that believes that like the threat of unionization might be enough to kind of cause this change to happen without actually having unionized, if that makes sense. Kind of like the threat of regulation is causing, causing these companies to, to reel back on loot boxes. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do think things will get better one way or another. I, I do have at least enough faith in that. Um, yeah, even if, yeah. even, and, you know, just to be clear, if it does come to unionization, I do think that will be on net 
a better a, a, a better place for the industry to be in. I just don't think it's the optimal way to go about it. Like if, if nothing else works, the unionization is, is a thing that I think is, is, is better than nothing, essentially. I also think that um, folks who are um, you know, folks who are exercising that kind of that that option to move around uh, will end up that that will end up becoming more and more of a thing, right? Like you know, talking about that those the the funding pouring into the indie game space to a certain extent, right? That is the market speaking its mind. I am Apple and Sony, and I have billions of dollars to spend, and I can get a lot of value out of finding you know out of funding a hundred games, and one of them is the next Hollow Knight or or Stardew Valley or something kind of along those lines. And I think that that is also really starting to kind of like speak insofar as abstract personification of market forces can speak. Um, and so that you know. As much as I definitely think a union will be a good thing, I do think conditions will improve and that the the negative press that Crunch has been getting has been uh, has been taking a real toll because there are real other options for game developers that are being that are being actively explored. Um, I didn't even really know or understand this until I moved into an indie game company, but like there are a gazillion indie games companies and they're doing just fine. Um, and that's a really interesting, you know, it's just like a really interesting aspect of the industry that really nobody talks about, right? If you're a three person team and you put out a pretty good PC game on steam or something like that, you can actually make it work off of, you know, it's not incredibly hard to sell 50,000 copies. And that is break even money for a team of three guys kind of thing. So um, yeah, and a last thing I want I want to hit just because it it occurred to me before we end this is another potential solution to this is something that is very common in in the startup world, which is to give these developers equity, right? Like it this this solves the problem from a different angle because you still have people working crazy crunch hours, but it makes it worth it because when the game goes off, they get you know they're rewarded for it. That's basically how the startup industry works: is you you get a significant amount of equity, and then if things take off, you get rewarded for that, even though you're working similar hours to to, to crunch time um, in in the early stages of a pro, uh, of a project. Um, and I you know I think that you know maybe that's not the healthiest thing, but like if you're choosing to do that and you're getting the benefit out of it, I think that's a much better kind of place to be in. Uh, if, yeah, if something that, makes sense. that I actually think is pretty interesting um, when it comes to that is uh, is kind of there's a weird mismatch between sort of that investor strength and the strength of um, uh, the strength of where the market is going because so much investment is being made into VR. I actually had a really long conversation with a guy uh, who I was hanging out with after E3 about this, but he's basically a normal developer at a at a regular kind of games company, and he started going the startup route. But all of the startups are doing VR stuff because that's where all of the investment money is. Um, and so I own, I almost sort of think that there's like a, almost like a VR bubble. Um, in terms of people think VR is going to be the next big thing, but it kind of hasn't broken through yet. And I'm really interested to see how that, um, how that kind of breakthrough ends up happening uh, just because of all of the power uh, of the dollar that's moving in there. Do you know what I mean? Uh, how was your week? <laughs> Two uninformed dudes talking yeah. about unions. Okay, great. Uh, my week. How was my week? Okay, so 
I played a lot of different things. I've been playing a ton of World of Warcraft, but I've also been continuing my foray into League of Legends and Team Fight, uh, into Team Fight Tactics, and I find Team Fight Tactics just to be the most fascinating game of all time. Um, that's not actually true. That's hyperbole. But um, the the way that Team Fight Tactics is currently in beta, so they are making tons and tons of decisions constantly um, about items and champions and values of stats and stuff and how you know uh like um uh you know mechanics are working there's a lot of bugs in the game um there's you know a couple of items that will be more powerful than than they ought to be because of uh, bugs in their favor, and there are also items that are weaker than they ought to be because of bugs to their to their sort of detriment. Um, but the but the thing I really wanted to talk about when it came to team fight tactics is the value of drafting out of a combined pool. Now, what this means is uh, one. So in team fight tactics, there are five different ranks of champions. Right? There are common, uncommon, rare. You know epic legendary just sort of the, like you might see in like world of warcraft like item tables right um and as you level up over the course of a game you, the chance that you will see an epic unit or a legendary unit increases right yasuo is a legendary unit and you have to get to level six or seven in order to start seeing yasuo now, one of the things that is coupled with this, but that is also very hidden by the mechanics, is that there are only a certain number of champions inside of the pool, right? So, for instance, of a, uh, of a rank 4 champion, there are only 10 copies of it inside of the pool at any given time. So, Akali, for instance, if I want to get multiple Akalis to start making my Akali stronger, I need to re-roll my pool kind of over and over again in order to find three of them. And there's only 10 total. So if I want to get a three-star Akali, right, I would need to get nine of the 10 copies of Akali in, uh, in the pool. Now, another piece of this is that people are like other people are drawing from the same pool as you which creates this weird gameplay mechanic of looking at what other people are playing and going oh my god no one is going gunslingers or whatever and you pick up all the graves and lucians and tristanas and now all of a sudden you have yourself a gunslinger comp and you're gonna you know you're going to wreck house because you have a bunch of gunslingers and everyone else is fighting over assassins or sorcerers or something kind of along those lines and i think that this if anything is like the saving grace of how team fight tactics kind of works on that strategic level something that i brought up before is that like there's a lot of rng to the game you know there's rng in how you get items there's rng in how you roll champions i have been absolutely destroyed so many times because i'm so close to like a tier two nar and a tier two morgana and i'm sitting with all of the you know the extra copies and i use all of my gold re-rolling and i could just never find these you know these champions sort of thing um but there is a certain sort of strategy to it where you have to be paying attention to what other people are playing and play the odds against them where maybe I shouldn't be looking to roll a tier two NAR because I know that there's already one out on the board and that the chance of me finding another one is going to be pretty tough sort of thing. Um, 
And so, I don't know, I just had, those, those are just some general thoughts about, like, you know, the way in which the fixed number of champions in the pool creates an RNG scenario that is directly malleable by the player, which is so un... It's, it's like it's very murky as to whether or not that is strategic or just like RNG bullshit for me. And I think it's very strategic and I have a lot of fun scouting out other teams and going like, ooh, nobody's going glacials. I'm going to go for my, you know, six glacial comp or something kind of like that. Um, but I don't know. I just want to bring that up. What, do you, what are your thoughts? I followed about half of that because I don't understand. I don't know any of the mechanics of this. So I, I kind of I you know I I I think I've interpret I inferred some of these mechanics, but um, kind of the the idea of of uh, of paring down your the, your random pool is is something I, I, I I'm rapidly gaining more understanding of because it's also a thing that happens a lot in card games. And I've been playing a ton of MTG Arena. Um, it's basically all I played while I was was on vacation. So I definitely get that. Uh, I definitely understand that, that, that kind of like uh, you know you reduce random you reduce uh, total randomness by by kind of reducing the pool of things, um, yeah. So that, that that makes total sense to me. Um, uh, speaking of that, um, the new expansion for Arena drops is Core M twenty, um, uh, which has been interesting so far. I haven't played or I've played with it, but I haven't been using the new cards of Superton. I built a, a weird new deck that doesn't really work, but you know, that's that's how I like to play Magic. Um, there's an ability on the Cavalier of Flame, I believe it is. It's when it dies, it deals um, it deals damage to a target equal to the number of lands in your graveyard. So I made a stupid deck that's like a lot of fetch lands and a lot of like weird type of land abilities just put a lot of lands in your graveyard. Haven't actually used the ability yet, but I've won a couple of games with the deck because it it's kind of like it otherwise runs just kind of like a standardish mid rangey type of red grain deck um, with some mana dorks in it for faster ramping. Um, but uh, uh, the two bigger things to go along with that are um, the the mulligan for all of Magic has changed. Have you heard about this? Yeah. So I followed the conversation that you had with friend of the Cavs Jimmy in uh, in the Magic Gathering arena um, the other day, and I am. I am interested because this is something that, I don't know, it's just, I, I this is a huge rule change, and I have no context for it, so I'm just really interested to kind of, like, hear the sides. Yeah, so so for the people at home that don't know, um, the mulligan is now what is what has been previously called the London mulligan, um, and instead of what it was previously, so originally it was, um, if you don't like your hand of seven cards, you, sh- you shuffle back into your deck and you draw six. Um, they a uh, handful of years ago changed that to if you mulligan you get to you get to basically scry that the first card um, you know you get to look at the top card of your deck and choose if it remains on top or put it underneath. But now the London Mulligan is um, if you decide to mulligan you sit you you mulligan at seven say you then draw seven cards again, um, but um, when it comes time to, to to finalize your hand you have to put. Um, number of mulligan cards at the bottom of your deck in your chosen order. So, um, uh, you know, let's say that you uh, let's say that you you draw you drew two few lands. So you want to mulligan and you draw your hand. You draw seven cards and you have a decent looking hand. You then have to pick one of those cards out of your hand, put it on the bottom of your deck, and say I keep it. Um, 
And then, you know, you can repeat this as ad nauseum. Same thing. You draw seven cards each time and you have to just place increasing number of cards on the bottom of your deck. This is really interesting because it makes, it makes mulliganing less bad. But the, the kind of dangerous side of this is it makes combo heavy, uh, decks a little bit easier to, to fish for the combo on opening, um, which is interesting to say the least. Um, uh, friend of the cast, Jimmy, says that this will have much more delir- deleterious effect on the modern format, um, and I would assume that also means kind of the legacy format, which um, can get into weirder combo spaces because you just have that many more cards available to you uh, to play with. Um, but from my experience, it's been pretty good in standard. It's it's uh, it's made mulliganing much less painful. Um, it's it's essentially made so like. I can tell you from my perspective that if I had mulliganed once and or, if I mulliganed once and I only drew two lands, sometimes I would just ride with that. And if I mulliganed twice, and I only, I, I would just ride with whatever I had with five cards left because mulliganing down to four is basically intolerable. Um, uh, and not that that makes mulliganing three times viable. It just makes the, the fact, it makes the, the chance that you will have to mulligan three times that much less likely because you're still drawing seven cards and you can just discard out the, the the kind of chaff that you're you know the cards under, you don't under need. what circumstances like how 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 did you mulligan when it came to the London mulligan what, um, what were the circumstances of that uh, sorry I don't I don't quite follow like like okay so run me through a typical game that you're playing right where you draw your seven cards on the top of the deck and like how often is it that you keep those cards as so, your as your okay hand? I'd say I I keep my my starting hand. Probably three fifths of the time, maybe a little bit less. I think it's slightly over half. I would say, um, uh, maybe it's slightly under half, but it's right around that halfway mark. Um, now, the the difference with the with the London Mulligan is is that if I do have to Mulligan, the chance of me having to Mulligan a third, a second, or a third time is much smaller. I don't think I've Mulliganed twice since the London Mulligan. You know. Granted, it's been four or five days, but like you know, I would regularly have to mulligan. You know, I'd mulligan once, get uh, get like one land out of it, and then have to mulligan a second time and be down to five cards and just roll with whatever that was, even if it's like you know two lands, which is suboptimal. Every every time so far that I've mulliganed, I've gotten enough lands in my hand that I can just get rid of some uh, uh, get rid of some extraneous card, or you know, if I roll with a slightly higher two, you know, like a Let's say like a, a let's say I roll with like a four three land hand, you know four lands three, uh, three cards on the first mulligan. I'll probably just just bottom one of one of the extra lands, um, and it'll be fine. And it's you know like I said, it, it's very much reduced my my need to mulligan a second time, and I found that to be super super nice because it makes any game where you're mulliganing twice, you feel like you're starting off on the wrong foot. Um, and it's very hard to win those games, at least in my experience. Okay. How do you feel about the Hearthstone Mulligan? I am unfamiliar. The, so the Hearthstone Mulligan, so the Hearthstone opening hands are a little bit different, right? Um, in that you kind of get the, you know how in the first turn advantage in magic is, um, you don't draw and the second ter- and the second player gets to do his normal draw sort of thing. Right. So in Hearthstone, an opening hand for a for turn one player is three cards. For turn two player, it's four cards. And <coughs> <coughs> 
they can mulligan cards individually, right? Right. Where right, right. you put where you you select individual cards and you shuffle them back into the deck and draw, you know, like and draw new cards and you keep what I, I think a magic equivalent equivalent would kind of be like imagine you could draw your seven card hand and then put cards under, you could scry the cards under that you don't want from that hand and then draw new cards off the top of the deck or something kind of along those lines and then shuffle your deck at the end or something, I guess, because technically Hearthstone would have a shuffle in there. Um, and, uh, and it's, an, it, you know, it's something that is hotly talked about and not really debated, but it's just like, it's a really important thing that is constantly talked about inside of, you know, Hearthstone Grandmasters, for instance, right? Like, what do you keep off of the mulligan? What do you plan to mulligan, right? What are the very best cards in your in your deck that you want to have in your hand when the game starts? What are the cards that are terrible and god-awful and you want to get out of kind of thing? Yeah, so that's... So, uh, it's been a while since I've played, so my apologies for forgetting. No, but that's that... fine. I'm glad I got to re-explain it because I know there are a lot of people who don't play. Yeah, um... I think that I think so it's just like a, a such a different kind of philosophy I guess on on mulliganing it's it's interesting because it's, it's it's basically free right like it's um there's there's no downside to it other than like you might draw worse cards I guess um but I think that the reason that works for Hearthstone and probably wouldn't work for Magic is that um Hearthstone doesn't have the mana the, the mana mechanic, right? Like, it's, you know, you don't have to worry about drawing enough lands, which is the primary driver of most mulligans in in Magic, at least at least at, like, my level, right? I'm sure I'm sure that people mulligan on, on like, opening hand mechanics at, at, at the higher levels. And, you know, there, there are circumstances where, you know, oh, I have, like, four or six drops and two land you know, I have the number of lands I want, but I have all six drops otherwise, then, yeah, I'd probably mulligan that, too. Um, but... But even that kind of like that, that that it's it's I think still primarily driven by the number of lands in your opening hand. Um, that's not a factor with with Hearthstone. So I think I think it just works differently. I don't know how how I how I'd analyze that. Um, yeah, yeah, in that, Hearthstone, you almost are always making decisions about how you want those early turns to play out because yeah. the, your your mana gain is you are going to gain one mana crystal every turn, no matter what. You know, um, but like having a seven cost card in your hand versus having a two cost card in your hand, right? Like obviously the two cost card is better. Um, and there are, by the way, versions of this that look good and versions of this that that don't. Um, <coughs> so, for instance, uh, you know, their uh, the the best card for Control Warrior in their Mulligan is Doctor Boom Mad Genius. Dr. Boom Mad Genius gets is a seven mana hero card, right? But it is like the end game win condition of that deck and getting the getting it online as quickly as possible is so valuable that you keep a seven cost card in your hand um, if you get it and you can mulligan for it kind of otherwise if you if you don't. Um, that I that I find to be a I guess an interesting sort of uh, yeah, An interesting I, I, kind of conundrum to, uh, to kind of like work through as well. I, I this is interesting because I, I have to believe that part of the reason why this is, this is it's also like less of a or a different set of problems than in Magic. Is it, there's there's much more tutoring in Magic, um, 
Unless, unless something in Hearthstone has changed since I've played. Like, there's, no, there's, there's not a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, um, it's much easier to pull things into your deck. Or, or also to stick your... Fill your deck with kind of things with similar abilities. Um, that that yeah, can I mean, kind of... Yeah, I think we, we've another. talked a lot about how that is one of the yeah. big differences. And that is absolutely one of the... There is... First of all, it's only one card because it's a legendary card. So it's one card out of 30, right? Um, so it would be like having you, – you, you are forced to have two copies of it um, only in Magic. And it's the best card in your deck, right? Um, and the second thing is that there aren't a lot of tutor effects or effects that can duplicate it, right? It's not like you can, you know, have a – I don't know. It's not like you can have a – a, another Dr. Boom somewhere in there to make up for the Dr. Boom that you have lost. Right. Um, so that is, uh, I do feel like that's like kind of a, a legitimate sort of concern when it comes to this. And I also think that like, you know, that, the, that has its own kind of strengths and weaknesses. This isn't necessarily a good Hearthstone, good magic, bad. I'm just, yeah, yeah. They're, they're know, different working. games. Yeah, they're they're different games, and I'm and I'm very interested to see the the sort of like the differences in how they work and you know are are structured. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, the other big controversy coming out of the new expansion is is they've essentially added a battle pass to the uh, to the game um, instead of the way it was working previously, um, and there are a variety of takes that you can that you can see online and. Uh, I think the single one, the, the criticism that resonates with me the most is that um, you kind of, in order to kind of get through your battle pass, you have to you have to kind of play every day and um, get your three wins in to get the the two hundred experience you get off of that, um, because otherwise you're going to start to fall behind. And I think that's a thing that is less good. Um, previously, um, it was fifteen wins a week gets you three packs, you know, or you know, it's one win, win one pack every five wins rather, um, and there were kind of minor rewards for daily wins, but they weren't nearly as 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 controlling. Um, uh, and so I would, I, this is this is kind of a take like I pulled straight from uh, the YouTuber named Noxious, um, but I I would prefer to see it move to a system where like you you have to get. Um, a number of wins across the week or maybe even like across like some large unit of time. Like uh, I believe uh, the, the comparison is drawn to Fortnite where um, you can grind out the entirety of a battle pass in the last day of the season if you really want to. Um, and that's like right now just not possible. There's only you can you can you not you're you can only get 200 XP worth of experience per day and it's lost and you know the, that opportunity is lost every day. Um, uh I would even see something like uh, the way that Apex did theirs, which is there's a max you can get every week, but each week that passes just kind of adds to your possible capacity. So, like, the equivalent for Magic would be that, like, every day you add kind of, like, another 200 XP worth of capacity to your ability to do so. And so, like, if you just want to play on a Saturday, you can bang out all your wins to fill out the rest of your capacity. I think that would be better, too. Um, Slightly slightly less onerous, but still kind of onerous is um, like like Hearthstone has three quests and those give 800 XP a piece. And so you don't have to do them all at once, but you do have to kind of make sure you're doing at least one every three days or, you know, at least one uh, average out to one a day or at least clear them all out every three days so that you can f- start filling them back up. And uh, uh, that's, the, uh, that's the, uh, the other big thing. But uh, I don't know. They... they uh, uh, 
you know, I feel like this is still kind of in the testing phase, so hopefully they'll change something about it, but we, we just have to see. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I have an interesting... I have not seen a battle pass, I think, in any game that I've played, except for League has one that just came out. Um, like the, It's like the arcade battle pass. Um, and... The interesting thing about the is that it's like there's the event going on right now. It's like arcades, whatever. There's a bunch of arcade skins, and they give you missions that earn you a temporary currency. Um, so I'm just I'm looking it up right now because I want to like see you know like I want to see like what the effect of actually doing the arcade 2019 pass gets you. Um, but the interesting thing is that it seems to get you just access to more of the currency, and you already get it no matter what, right? So, um, you will, uh, you all, like, there is a basic version of it, like, I have not activated this battle pass, and I have a couple of missions, and they give me a small amount of currency, right? So if I wanted to buy one or two things from the shop, that would be easy. But I guess if I bought the pass, it would be much more likely that I got much more stuff that is exclusive in the store right now, which right now is like chromas. So like Yasuo has a new skin and for 300 tokens, I can get a unique exclusive chroma for that Yasuo skin if I wanted it or something. Um, and I, is that a common thing for, for battle passes to have like a free version and a paid version? Yeah. That's, that's basically every battle pass. Like the magic has this as well. There's a free track, and just below it is the paid track. And at any time, you can buy the uh, you can buy the paid track, and you'll get all the the rewards that you hadn't gotten to. And you know, have don't you see, buddy? Don't you see that you could have so many rewards if you just gave Riot your money? <laughs> um, um, some of them, like like uh, Apex, incentivizes early buying by uh, by giving you basically a points multiplier. Okay, um, as it. Or rather, some of the reward levels are points multipliers, so it's, it gets harder to advance up the free path. Um, and so you're advised by early. Magic doesn't have that so far, um, and I, I don't, I'm not super familiar with any other system. Um, but uh, you know, the 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 pure, you know, we want you to buy it whenever, even if it's on the last day, is uh, is uh, uh, is is the, is that magic version where, like, you know, you're 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 going along you're like you could have all these rewards if just you would pay us some 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 nice money uh uh but yeah um but it it it, it uh i i have i have purchased i have purchased both of those battle passes apex and uh and magic apex is i you know i i don't follow a ton of it and apex is generally viewed as being a very bad battle pass um i didn't yeah i, I saw a it. ton of uh, criticism of the Apex Battle Pass when it first came out. Um, so I, I've, I have certainly heard, I have heard that shot uh, <laughs> put out around the world. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I haven't been playing Apex much lately, so who knows? Are you mostly playing Magic the Gathering? Uh, so Magic and and uh, Final Fantasy fourteen. Oh, um, still- oh, yeah. God, geez, the the, the new expansion came out. Yeah, I still I still haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> I'm, st- <laughs> I'm still playing old content. Um, I'm still basically at like I am right around the part where like the furthest I've ever gotten with it is, and it's fun. Um, 
I kind of hate to kind of put it this way, but I think I'm enjoying it more because you have such a ludicrous XP boost. Um, uh, I'm on a new server, so you get like a hundred percent XP boost base. Uh, so I'm just kind of like floating through the story, la di da di da, without having to do any side quests. I'm 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 really enjoying that, um, and I'll probably end up getting at least close to the end game this time around. Um, uh, unlike previously, um, but you know it's 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 uh, it's a neat game. Something I do want to like the game just has like some some little touches that I really enjoy, like. Like, there's unique mu- music when you're mounted, and uh, mounts don't all have unique music, but they do all, like, some of them have different music, and I find that to be very cool. Um, and, you know, the, the, it's it's kind of standard tab tab target um, combat, but I've, I've been enjoying it, and, uh, you know, it doesn't feel as, it, it, it's it's giving me those, the, the things I liked about WoW, but in a game that I don't, haven't played. So there's a lot, there's a wider open field, I guess, and I'm enjoying it for now. Sounds good. Um, is there anything else that uh, that we should? I feel like I feel like we we ran the gamut. I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I don't have anything else. Um, in that case, if uh, if you'd like to email us and tell us what you think about unions, you can email us at podcast at simdirtsplaygames dot com or uh, or simdirtsplaygames at gmail dot com. Also, send us your questions. We are at episode one ninety four with a. Question spectacular at episode 200, and none of you set questions questions yet. I am very disappointed in all of you. Um, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Um, <laughs> so, so send us your questions. Um, uh, you can follow us on twitch.tv slash dirt play games. We haven't really done anything on that in a while, but we might soon. Um, leave us reviews and likes on all the different platforms. Uh, that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else you wanted to promote? No, I have nothing else uh, that I'm looking to promote. Do you, do you want to re-up your, uh, your, your... I guess, analysis? oh, that's fair. I will re-up my, my official promotion on uh, Thursday, next Thursday, July 18th. I will be streaming on the official Akupara Games Count, the new game, Etherborn. Uh, it's a puzzle game that I have absolutely no... Being developed by friends of ours that I have absolutely no uh understanding or interaction with and so i'm very excited to see how um i'm very excited to see how it plays and i'm excited to stream for as many people are willing to show up uh i might actually do a stream i probably need to like test my streaming setup so i might actually do a stream to the to the some derp play games uh this week like maybe i'll do like team fight tactics or something like that um just in order to get a a good, you know, uh, a good sense of my software and everything along those kinds of lines. So that is the thing I do want to plug. There, I, I did it. I did. I did. I did the the job. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's everything that we uh, we have time for. Uh, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.